Thank you so much, ladies, and thank you to the Braswells and Flemings earlier for the beautiful arrangement. Christmas time is a wonderful year, and one of the things that I enjoy most at Christmas time is reviewing prophecy. All of the marvelous, wonderful prophecies about Jesus' first coming. But you know what? As I begin to look through again those prophecies and see how so many of them were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus, I am overwhelmed at how many more prophecies haven't yet been fulfilled. And it really fills me with excitement. And in this past few weeks, um, I have been studying a prophet who's rather obscure. He appears in one chapter in the Bible and then disappears. One day, he shows up delivering a message. And it was a message to Ahab. And I've been fascinated in studying this prophet. His name is Micaiah. And as most of you know, I named my second-born son Micaiah. I liked this guy so much. I love the meaning of his name, and I love what he stood for. And I love that he can be a role model to my children, and I hope that he is. And I hope that he is a role model to all of us as we look back in history. But as I learned and studied, again, Micaiah, I was reminded that there's another Micaiah in our Bibles. And you know him more commonly by the short version of his name, Micah. And it is fascinating that Micah picks up right where Micaiah left off. And it's so fascinating. Just, if you weren't here in Bible Hour this morning, you missed an incredible part of history that's foundational to what we're going to look at here this morning. It's the very last chapter of 1 Kings, chapter 22, where King Ahab is having trouble with his brother, or false friend, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. And the covenant that they made three years ago is not being kept. And so he joins an alliance with the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and he's going to go and um, deal with Ben-Hadad. And just to not review all the details, but to give you a little bit of background so you have some understanding of it, um, on that day, as these two kings have assembled together in all their regal glory, uh, they call in the prophets, 400 of them, but they're not prophets of the Lord, to inquire of them whether or not they should go and fight against Ben-Hadad. Now, we learn later from Micaiah, behind the scenes, is that in heaven there was a great discussion just prior to this in who would go and persuade Ahab to go fight against Ben-Hadad so that Ben-Hadad could get himself killed. And you remember that there was a prophet who said he would go forth as a lying prophet among all of his prophets. And that's exactly what happened. Of the 400 prophets, they spoke as if they were one mouth. Go, go, go and prosper they told him. Jehoshaphat had the wisdom to say, is there not here a prophet of Jehovah, of the Lord? 
And Ahab said to him, there is, but I hate him because he never tells me what I want to hear. He always tells me evil news. And Jehoshaphat pushed it. And so Micaiah was brought in. And Micaiah was encouraged by a servant that all the other prophets have said that he'll go and he'll prosper. So you ought to agree with them. You know, that would be a good plan. And Micaiah very wisely said that as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And that's exactly what happened. Although he started off mockingly agreeing with the false prophets, he ended up telling Ahab that you go to battle, you will die. The people will be as sheep without a master, without a shepherd, and scattered. Ahab was so irate with him, he decreed that he be thrown into prison and fed with bread of affliction and water of affliction until, Ahab said, I come in peace. Well, Micaiah responded to this as he was being drug away to prison by saying that if thou return it all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. As he's continued to be drug out, off to prison, he cries out not just to King Ahab, but to all of the people assembled there, which may have been thousands. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. This is a challenge and appeal to them to heed, to listen to what God has said and to obey it. That's what the word hearken means. Hearken means to hear, to listen, and to do something about what you hear. Specifically, in this case, to obey. And as we wrap the Bible hour this morning, these are the last recorded words of Micaiah. But 120 years later, we find out that both Israel and Judah have not been hearkening to the word of the Lord. And God has to send them another prophet, whose name is Micaiah, or short form, Micah. And Micah picks up where Micaiah left off about 120 years earlier. For it tells us in Micah chapter 1, verse 2, Micah begins the prophecy. The very first words of his prophecy is this. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is. And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. He is appealing to the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, the divided kingdom, both north and south, to hearken, to listen, to hear the word of the Lord. Why? Because there is judgment coming, dealing specifically with Ahab's land. Ahab's been dead for 120 years or more. But yet as we read this book, we read this sermon of Micah, we find that the ordinances, the laws that 
Ahab and his father Umri had established are continuing to corrupt the land. And this sermon is a cry out to them to repent, to deal with their sins. For if we look here very specifically in this first chapter, this warning is given if you look at verse 6. Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as the plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley and I will discover the foundations thereof. 120 years ago, the people were appealed to, hearken, hearken to the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, do something about it. For 120 years, they refused to. And now the specifics of judgment is being proclaimed. Samaria, the royal capital of the northern kingdom, that city that Omri, Ahab's father, had purchased and built up and made luxurious, will be made a heap of the field. The stones will be dumped down into the valley and the ravines, and the foundations would be exposed. The city would be flattened and be a rubble heap in the field. The warning is coming. But it doesn't stop there. As we continue to read, we find out that the same warnings are being given to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem for the same, same deal. It says in chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps in the mountain of the house of the high places of the forest. Jerusalem too. Both kingdoms. Micaiah's message rings. Hearken, hearken, hearken to the word of the Lord. Ahab had a problem of itching ears. He wanted to hear only what he wanted to hear. But he needed to hear what God wanted him to hear. And that's true for all of us still today. In this sermon of Micah, we're going to attempt something very bold this morning. We're going to try to to, to review Micah's whole sermon. Think we can do that? Now don't check out on me. I, I, you may have already looked. Seven chapters. We're going to mostly read it. With some commentary between. But I'd like to give you an overview of this book. An overview of this book as we're studying Ahab. Because it's really relevant to Ahab. This message in a way, this sermon, is the climax to the history of Ahab. This is the climax of it. And it has to do with events that were historical, events that were current, and events that were yet future for Micah's time. And it includes events that are yet future from all of our perspective still today. Again, coming back to, we have in here prophecies regarding, relating to Christmas. And it's so fascinating and how those prophecies relating to Christmas deal with Christmas when Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago, but yet, as soon as it finishes with that, or hardly even summarizes that prophecy, it immediately jumps in time to events that have not yet been fulfilled. And so, as I so often like to do, I want to show you my timeline. Is it up there? There we go. 
And Zachary has back there, I know we have some guests with us here today, and I have two of these printed out. So if you're with us here and you haven't received any of these timelines, get his attention and um, he'll get those for you. If you, if you have, have received one and you still want to get one, you can still kind of get his attention, but he might ignore you to make sure everybody else gets one, all right? Um, but here, here we're looking at this, this timeline. And this is a timeline of the divided kingdom. Now, we're not going to take a lot of time to explain the timelines. Um, but just some basics here. Here we have a timeline of the divided kingdom. And here we can see that yellow bar come across. And this is where Ahab's life ends. This is where Micaiah is. You can see Micaiah up there at the very top. He's up here. Just one little dot there. He appears only one day in history. One day he appears and disappears in history. Micaiah up here. And it was just as Ahab was going forth to war. You can see here that Ahab's dynasty, the green, the colors stand for different dynasties, families, ruling families, is about to end. There's only one more, one more, well, two, but basically one more um, descendant that will rule from Ahab's dynasty, and then will be fulfilled a prophecy relating to Ahab's family being destroyed. So where does Micah, the prophet, fall into all of this? So here we have this prophecy dealing with Ahab. We have Ahab's reign here in, um, in the 900s BC. So if we go forward in time, we will find Micah. He's down here. You see him here, the black bar? We know that he was ministering during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And he was warning them and bringing these prophecies. So it's about 120 years later. He begins his sermon with the same words that Micaiah ended his sermon 120 years before. We're going to read through this, this sermon. And I want you to watch for... I, I, for those of you who have been in Bible Hour, you should know about Ahab. And you should know events relating to Ahab and to Omrion. And I hope many of the, of, of the others of you here this morning have some basic Bible knowledge and know who Omrion is and know who Ahab is and have some basic historical of how they fit in and some of the things that they did and their great wickedness. Because it's gonna, you're going to see it. It's, it's in Micah. Even though Micah was written 120 years later, it, it's almost as if, it's written to Ahab. And that's fascinating because it was. It was the message basically that was for Micaiah. And in some ways, it's a message that's still true to Israel today. And as the church, by extension, we can learn from it. Now, there's so much here and promises given specifically to Israel that really have no significance to us as the church in this time period, in this that we live in history. Except it is vitally important because humans are humans in all times of history. And um, all these ways that they lived and they did these things in the past have so much significance to us today as well. So you notice here an important event up here. We don't know exactly when Micah finished. We put it kind of here, right here. Because the northern kingdom, Samaria, the capital, falls in 722 B.C. Samaria is destroyed. 
just as Micah warned. Destroyed in 722 BC. Jerusalem was almost destroyed, except for the fact that Jeremiah records for us that the people in that day, so Jeremiah, you see him, he is, um, why isn't he up there? Oh, we have to go further in history. Yeah, I was looking at the wrong one. If you look here, you know who Jeremiah is. Well, let's see how he fits in. If we go further in history some more, There we see my Jeremiah. And here's another major event in 586 BC when Jerusalem falls to Babylon. And in this time of Jeremiah, there's a lot of people who are saying, we need to kill Jeremiah. We don't like what Jeremiah is saying, so we're going to kill him. And Jeremiah and the people there, some of the faithful ones, reminded the others, hey, you guys all remember Micah? Micah, who lived back in the days when Assyria was conquering through the land, they hearkened to Micah's message and were spared. They were spared because they listened to Micah. So we shouldn't be throwing and wanting to try to kill Jeremiah because he's basically bringing the same message that Micah was bringing. But unlike back over before in 722 BC, the the nation of Judah totally rejected Jeremiah. Totally rejected him, which resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem. So as we read through the book of Micah, there's some important things that we need to be aware of, of some basic history. Now, let me see if I can summarize for you some basic historical events on the detailed timeline, and then I'm going to show you a simplified timeline. So here we see Jerusalem is destroyed, Judah, the southern kingdom, In 586 B.C., carried away captive to Babylon. We go back. The previous major event was in 722 B.C. when Assyria conquered Israel, ransacked Samaria. We go back in time, and in 975 B.C., we have the divided kingdom, when the kingdom split to the northern Israel and the southern Judah. We go back yet further in time, and we have the united monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon, and then we have all of the judges, and this is all the detail of the judges, with Samuel being the last judge. And if we keep going back, we come to the next major event, which is the Exodus in 1491 B.C. So these are some important events. 1491 B.C. is the exodus when the nation of Israel came up out of Egypt and then 40 years later went into the promised land. That's the first major event. The next major event is in 975 B.C. when the kingdom was divided. The next major event is 722 B.C. when Israel is carried away captive. And then we have the next major event, which is when Judah is carried away captive. And that's in 586 B.C. Now let's look at another chart that I hope you know. It has to do with these recent times. The second coming of Jesus. 
So we have the first coming of Jesus when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He lived his life here on earth, performed his miracles, demonstrated that he was the Messiah. He was betrayed, he was crucified, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, where today he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. This period of time that we live in right now is called the church age. The church age is a time in which the church goes forth into all the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples throughout the whole world, evangelizing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are looking forward to any day now, perhaps today, when Jesus will come in the clouds and catch us up with him in the clouds. That's where we get the word rapture. The word rapture means to be caught up, to be caught up with Christ in the clouds, at which time will begin a seven-year tribulation, also known as Jacob's trouble. It is a time of discipline dealing specifically with the nation of Israel, which will be regathered in the land, as we're going to find out is actually prophesied in Micah. At the end of that seven years, there is a great battle at Jerusalem. That battle climaxes with Jesus Christ returning from heaven on a white horse as king of kings and lord of lords and judge of all the earth. He will win that battle, and then he will establish his kingdom, his throne, the throne of David will be reestablished with Jesus as the king, ruling and reigning there from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. It will be a time when Jesus will be the king of kings. At the end of that time, there will be a rebellion. There will be another battle. And at the end of that, Jesus will win. And the kingdom he will deliver up to his father at which time there will be created a new heavens and a new earth and will begin what we call the eternal state, which will go on forever. So here we see these details. So if we looked here at some of these things, it kind of lays out here. All that timeline, we could stretch it across the whole, the whole front of the church at all that detail, tons and tons and tons of detail. So let's narrow it down to some of these events. Micah and his sermon deals with these. The birth of Abraham in 1996 BC, the Exodus 1491 BC, the United Monarchy in 1095 BC, the kingdom divided in 975 BC, in 722 BC, the fall of Israel to Assyria, in 586 BC, the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, 4 BC, the birth of Christ. Yet future, we have the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, and the second coming, then the thousand-year reign of Christ, and then we have eternity. Micah refers to these different periods of history. So I know for some of you, timelines and so forth kind of gets fuzzy. But it's actually really important. You may not need to know these dates, but you need to know the general flow of history because if you don't, you're going to have a really hard time understanding Micah. In fact, you're going to have a really hard time understanding a lot of your Bible because so much of it is tied to 
history, which is fascinating because that confirms the historicity of the Bible. It's so full of history, which makes it a unique, unique book in many contexts and a reliable book because it actually has outside third sources of verification, which is so fascinating. But all of this here with Micah, where do they fall in? What I'd like to do is to read the sermon of Micah and have you see this on the timeline here. And at certain times, we're going to come and we're going we're to refer to different things and we're going to try to say, okay, so what is this prophecy referring to? What time period is it? Is it referring to back to the Exodus or back to the current time of Micah or Ahab? Or is it referring to the fall of Israel, to Assyria? Or is it to the fall of Jerusalem later? What, what time period do the prophecies fall into play? And um, it's fascinating because it kind of jumps around. And so needing this basic skeleton to hang the verses on, so to speak, to see how it all fits together. And then how it ends is just magnificent. I'll let you know ahead of time, there are some very famous verses in Micah. But what is very sad is that many people know these famous verses, but they have no idea of the context of these famous verses. And so my goal here today is to give you a summary of this sermon and then to give you somewhat a context of some of these fascinating, um, famous passages or prophecies that we find in here. So chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Moreshite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that is therein, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire and as the waters that are poured down a steep place." If you know anything about your prophecy, what's that a direct reference to? It's a direct reference to the second coming of Jesus, the revelation, when he will come and the Mount of Olives will actually split in half. Direct reference. So here we are dealing with prophecies that are far in the future. But yet watch, he's going to come back to prophecies that are going to be fulfilled right here. So Micah is living right here in this time, just before 722 BC. This prophecy is taking place just before here. He just now made some prophecies that are referring way out here to things that haven't even yet happened, but yet are a foreshadow of judgment. What's all this for? Verse 5, for the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? See, the people at that time thought Samaria and Jerusalem, oh, well, they're, they're the great cities, and especially Jerusalem, we're the good people. He's calling them out, saying that their very sacred places were the source of the great wickedness. Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap of the field, 
and its plantings of a vineyard. I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, for she gathered it to the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl, I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning like the owls. For her wound is incurable. For it is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Destruction, captivity, fugitives. Declare ye at Nottingham. Weep ye not at all in the house of Athro. Throw thyself in the dust. He goes through a series of cities dealing with them that are Jewish cities as well as um, um, Philistine and foreign cities and is declaring how there's, there's trouble all through. Pass ye away, thou inhabitants of Sapphire, having thy shame naked. The inhabitants of Zanan came not forth in the morning of Beth Azel. He shall receive of you his standing. For the inhabitants of Maroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. O thou inhabitants of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin of the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Moreshethgath, the houses of Achzib, shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitants of Marashah. He shall come to Adullam, the glory of Israel. Make thee bold, a sign of great weeping and distress, and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy boldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. A prophecy that came true for Samaria in 722. Judah hearkened, at least at this time, and it was then came true for them, though, as they wandered from the Lord in 586 B.C. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. There's a problem in Micah's day. But this isn't a new problem. This has been a problem for a long time. Think of Ahab. Think of Jezebel. Think of Naboth and Naboth's vineyard. Ahab wanted the vineyard. He couldn't have it. So he went to his bed and pouted over it, didn't he? Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. Remember Micaiah? He said, hearken, hearken, every one of you hearken. Obviously, in the last 120 years, they haven't hearkened. Because what Ahab was doing 120 years ago, they're still doing 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Behold, against this family, and that's fascinating because Micah is writing and Ahab's family has been utterly annihilated, gone by the time Micah comes onto the scene. Yet there's new families. Therefore saith the Lord, behold, against this family do I devise an evil. Evil here is not always morality, it's also calamity. Evil and calamity. From which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily. For this time is evil. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by locked in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? These his doings, do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men, averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses, from their children ye have taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore desolation. This is the speaking of fugitives fleeing with nothing. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bezorah, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. Now, do you see all of a sudden something's changed? It's gone from this distress, this calamity, this trouble, this nakedness, this fleeing fugitives, to now God saying, I'm going to gather them together. I'm going to bring them together. The remnant, and, and it's not just going to be this little remnant. It's this, it's this great noise that's going to come because it's going to be so many of them. When's that? Well, there's a foreshadowing of it that took place uh, 70 years after, after the captivity here in 586 B.C. when there was a regathering. But it's ultimately going to come true, actually, in this time period here. Perhaps the ultimate fulfillment having already begun in our generation. Chapter 2, verse 13, The breaker has come up before them. They have broken up. They have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. I want to preach every verse here, but we don't have time this morning. There's so much of these prophecies that are speaking. You'll, you'll notice here through Micah where it goes from calamity and judgment, and it will go back to, to marvelous promises. Chapter 3, And I said, Hear, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? Who hate good and love the evil? 
who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and his flesh within the cauldron. I don't even want to explain those verses. The horror of what's being described there. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. That will happen in both 722 B.C. to the northern kingdom and 586 B.C. Details of it are given in the book of Lamentations written by Jeremiah. Chapter 3, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. Think back again to Ahab, the 400 prophets that came in. It's still a problem. There's still prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry, Peace! Isn't that what they were saying in Ahab's day too, 120 years before? There are false prophets in this time when God is saying, no, 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 there is judgment coming, there is judgment coming, there is judgment coming. And oh no, the prophet, false prophets are saying, oh, we call evil good, and that's peace. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you, and ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the days shall be dark over them. Prophecies relating to Jacob's trouble in the seven-year tribulation, yet future. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward. Not righteousness, not justice. They judge if you pay them. And the priests thereof teach for hire. They're not there to teach the word of God. They're only there to teach whatever will earn them an income. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? Oh, do you remember the man this morning who started off announcing, yes, the Lord Adonai, we shall go forth and prosper. And then there's this question about bringing Micaiah in, and all of a sudden, it's not just Adonai, it's Jehovah will go with us. Point blank, liars, and now all of a sudden, they're now leaning on the Lord, declaring it's all from the Lord. They say, none evil can come upon us. See, the same problem is going on in Ahab's day is still going on in 722 B.C. period there, 120 years later. is sadly going to happen in Jerusalem too. And will also happen in the future seven-year tribulation. Therefore, 
Shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest? 586 BC, Jerusalem destroyed. But in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. You see, we've now gone from judgment now to the kingdom. The kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. The kingdom is going to be established, and the people will flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, we've got all these false prophets, false prophets, all throughout history, all this trouble, but there's a day coming when in Jerusalem people will come from all over the world to Jerusalem because that's where the word of the Lord will flow forth. Verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. There's a lot of people who read this verse and don't understand the significance of it. Because you know what? Our spears and our swords to put it bluntly, have gotten a whole lot more powerful. And the learning of war has become a whole lot more deadly. So what in the world is this talking about? Because we haven't turned these instruments of war into farming implements, tools. No, learn war, that's still real. There's lots of war still going on. Lots of wars still going on. So what's this talking about? This is talking about this time period in this thousand-year reign of Christ. It'll be a time of peace. Verse 4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord, that is Jehovah, our God, forever and ever. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Speaking of what's going to take place right as Jesus comes and sets up his thousand-year reign. And then it's not just a thousand-year because at the end he delivers it up to his father as it continues forever. And it's going to be, he's going to bring the halted, those who, are, those who have infirmities or, or have been maimed, lame, um, because of war and trouble. And he's going to bring them together. And then he goes on, verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, and to thee shall it come, 
even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry out loud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy consular perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail, for now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field. Thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Now he's bouncing back, and he's talking about what's going on here. And what's fascinating is this prophecy is taking place here, and Babylon's not even a world power. I mean, it would make sense if you were carried away by Assyria. That's what's so fascinating about this is that even the prophecies here that would make not a lot, make a wee little bit of sense, but not a lot of sense to the present hearers because it's prophecy. It's because it's God knowing the future as he knows the past. He knows everything. And this is what's being described. But it's not going to just end there. There's going to be a redemption. They're going to come back. Verse 11, now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, let her be defiled and let her eye look upon Zion. This is interesting because Assyria was gathered against them in 722 BC. Babylon was gathered against them in 586 BC. Rome was gathered against them in AD 70. But it is prophesied in Revelation 16 that there's going to be many nations, nations plural, that will be gathered against them. Reference, thereby we conclude that the battle that's taking place at the end of the seven-year tribulation, it's being described here. Many nations are gathered against thee that say, let her be defiled, let her eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel, for he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, and I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their grain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. What he's being describing here is the fact that there's going to be this battle where many nations are going to come up against Jerusalem, are going to come up against Jerusalem, but it's not going to end the way it ended in Samaria in 8070, or the way that it ended in 586 BC in Jerusalem, where it ended in 8070 with Jerusalem and Rome. And this day, God's going to bring a deliverance. There's going to be a victory. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. What do you think that's talking about? That's a prophecy of Jesus being tortured. The judge of Israel. And it goes right on talking about this judge, how he's going to come. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up unto the time that she which, she which hath travailed hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. What's being prophesied here is that there's this kind of a jumping back and forth of what's going on here. There's a description of what's taking place in the seven-year tribulation, and then it's bouncing back to the life of Christ on earth when his very own people rejected him, smote him. He gave them up until the time their travail was over. Jacob's trouble, the seven-year tribulation, is dealing with Israel specifically, also dealing 
be described here. That's what's going to be that refining of the nation in preparing them for the kingdom. That tribulation will be the very thing to refine them. And then verse 4 bounces into the kingdom, the millennium. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when they shall tread in our places, palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, and they shall lay waste the land of Assyria with a sword, and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land, and when he treadeth within our borders. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people, as a land lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds, and I will cut off witchcrafts out of thy hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities." And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. You see how, again, he's backing, bouncing back and forth through different events here. And I'm sorry we don't have time this morning to go into more detail. Will you promise to read this on your own if we stop? Please. It's so rich. Consider this and how it plays together. There's so much here that goes on, even backs into history. But let me, let me, let me wrap, let me, let me jump forward and wrap it up at the end of the book. Chapter 7 and verse 18. This is the reason I love the name Micaiah. The word here used in Hebrew at the beginning of verse 8 is a play on words using Micah's own name, the name Micaiah. The name Micaiah means who is like Jehovah, question mark. Who is like Jehovah? This whole book, Micah has been warning and prophesying. He began it by saying, hearken, listen, listen, listen to the word of the Lord. And now he's going to climax. Using his own name, he asks the question, who is like You've you've been warned of judgment. And we've seen, looking back, we've seen how that judgment came to pass. and And we see things yet future that have yet to come in judgment. But in all of these, 
God has presented a message of hope to his people. And really, the message is presented in hope to his people, Israel, has by extension hope to us. The question is asked, who is a God like unto thee? It's a prayer. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like unto thee? He's using his name, Micaiah, to ask this question. And then he goes on and explains his God. That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. Thou wilt cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Who is likened to God? Who is gracious, pardons iniquity, compassionate, shows forth mercy? Do you know this God? A few weeks ago, we talked about knowing the Lord. There's two ways to know the Lord. That's to know him as a judge or to know him as a savior. Those are the only two ways you can know him. Well, I mean, there's a lot. If you know him as a savior, can you know him in a whole lot of other ways too? Like a father and a friend and a shepherd and the list goes on and on and on. But do you know him in his compassion and mercy as your savior or as your judge? That's what Christmas is really all about. So that Jesus, when he came and he was smitten, he wasn't smitten for his own sin, but for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of the entire world, now, throughout all history, and for all who will ever be born. He took that upon himself. So that, by rising from the dead, he could have the authority and the right and the power to pardon iniquity. Did you see what he does with sins? He casts all their sins to the depths of the sea. That's awesome. Another passage in Jeremiah speaks of him being said, as far as the east is from the west. If you consider the earth as the spherical planet that it is, and if you just went straight east and straight west out into outer space, they don't, they don't meet. <laughs> now, you go, go, go. It, it's glorious what he, he, he was, wants to perform. He wants to perform. And so all this judgment, judgment, judgment is there to hearken, 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 all ye people and all those of you who inhabit the earth. There is judgment for sin and iniquity. We've seen it illustrated in this sermon to the nation of Israel. But it's also true for us because each one of us individually are sinners. And 
if we have received the Lord Jesus Christ and believed on him and trust in him alone to save us, he will save us. He will pardon our iniquities. He will cast our sins to the depths of the deepest part of the sea. They'll be gone. Jesus accomplished that work. And so we can go forth in victory. We can go forth in joy. We can go forth in hope no matter what we may face. Who is like unto thee, O Lord? That's why I named my boy Micaiah Hananiah. That's a big name, isn't it? Two Hebrew names. The first name, Micaiah, is the question. Who is like Jehovah? Who's like Jehovah? Hananiah means the Lord, Jehovah, is gracious. That's something to get excited about that every one of you can be excited about and go forth celebrating this day as we consider these obscure prophets that are so full of profound and rich, significant detail. This morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ, as we sing later, come see me, or after the service, meet me in the back. I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know that you have eternal life. It's by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And for all of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, may we be encouraged and motivated to continue trusting him day by day, moment by moment, looking for him to come back. Great God, we give thanks to you this day for your goodness and for your love, for your mercy and for your compassion. As we consider your holiness and righteousness as the judge of all the earth, we are humbled. And in some ways, we are in dread. But as we consider and then look upon what you did to redeem us, to adopt us, to save us, that dread turns to awe and to glory and to rejoicing and to celebration and to worship of you. And so we bow before you this day, lifting you up and giving you all the glory, all the honor and all the praise we love you because you first loved us. We commit ourselves to you now and we pray in Jesus' name.